Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you today? I'm pretty excited. Why are you so excited? Because we have a giveaway to do. We've we've been able to do one before, um, and we're getting the opportunity to do it again. But this time we get to um, give our listeners the chance to enter to win a digital copy of a really exciting upcoming release. And that's for A Quiet Place 2. Yeah, we actually went and saw this in theaters when it came out. We were such fans of the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm super stoked to be able to... Uh, give our listeners a chance to win a copy. That's super exciting. Well, hailed by critics and audiences around the world, the biggest thriller of the summer, A Quiet Place 2, comes home today on digital. Following the deadly events at home, the Abbott family must now face terrors of the outside world as they continue their fight for survival in silence. Starring Emily Blunt, Kylie and Murphy, and Jaiman Hansu, the terrifyingly suspenseful thriller A Quiet Place 2 is now available with exclusive bonus content featuring director John Krasinski, who takes viewers deeper into the world of A Quiet Place. Also coming to stores on 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray July 27th. Bonus content available on participating platforms. Rated PG-13 from Paramount Pictures. So be on the lookout for more details on how to enter by following us on our social media. And I'll share the rules for entry on there this upcoming Monday, July 19th. So keep an eye out for that post and it'll give you all the things you need to know to enter the giveaway. And the winner will be announced on our next episode. Well, speaking of summer blockbusters, we're still talking about them around here and we got another big movie. Yeah, this week's was very exciting because I know it's a movie that... Uh, obviously is a classic and well-loved and I've, I hadn't seen this uh, remake so I was really excited. I remember there was a lot of hype about it when it came out. Yeah this was a big big movie for that summer you know all all leading up to it the marketing was just marketing that 666 thing mm-hmm. and uh, that of course coincided with its release date so I had never seen the remake either. I was interested to see you know, what new thing they could bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm still waiting to see what that <laughs> will be. Maybe maybe there's some bonus content somewhere. I don't know about it. Uh, but I'm excited to talk about this one. I am too. There's some, there's some craziness going on in this movie. It, and I'm stoked to be able to get into all of it. Because it, this is one of those that... Uh, things would happen in the movie and we'd immediately want to talk about it. And of course, we're always like, no, 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 save it for the podcast. So I'm excited (laughs) to get into it. All right. Well, this one was certainly a wild ride. But first, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find it because, yeah, the theater moves around a lot. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. 
But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And currently, we are in our third week of a month-long series we call Summer Blockbusters, where we watch some of the biggest horror flicks to hit the big screen over the hottest months of the year, driving us out of the heat and into the theater seats. And today we are talking about the 2006 remake of The Omen. So, of course, before we get into it, now is your spoiler warning. If you want to check out this movie before we talk about everything, we definitely encourage it. We were able to find it on Prime, I think Apple. Uh, We weren't able to find it anywhere like streaming for free. It had to be rented, I think. Uh, But yeah, we definitely encourage you guys to check it out if you want to. Um, Otherwise... As always, we're going to spoil everything here. So if you just want to hang out with us instead, I don't blame you. We're kind of cool. So, (laughs) yeah, of course, we're going to break everything down. And this was just, it was crazy. (laughs) Yes. Because it it was frustrating a lot of the times, but then it would have these small moments Mm -hmm. of joy and brilliance and then it would go back to frustration. Mm -hmm. So uh, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Let's do it. Well, let's start off with the wiki. So, The Omen, also known as The Omen 666, is a 2006 American supernatural horror film directed by John Moore and written by David Seltzer. It's a remake of the 1976 film of the same name and stars Liev Schreiber, Julia Stiles, and Mia Farrow. The film was greenlit in July of 2005 with Dan McDermott attached to write and John Moore directing. McDermott would later be denied a credit by the Writers Guild of America as the screenplay was judged to bear too close a resemblance to the original 1976 script written by David Seltzer. Therefore, Seltzer receives sole credit for writing this script despite being uninvolved in any way with the production of this remake. Oh, wow. How crazy is that? That's really interesting. But also, like, I agree. Yeah, that is the main complaint that people seem to have about this remake is the fact that it's exactly like the original, mm-hmm. you know, except for the fact we have a new cast and we've tweaked some of the deaths a bit. It's the same movie. So why bother, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So that, although it's a fascinating piece of trivia, it's actually not that surprising. Yeah. Well, according to the feature commentary on the DVD, the search for a new Damien spanned Los Angeles, London, and New York. In 2005, newcomer Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick was cast in the part with his screen test, doubling as the movie's teaser trailer. Oh, wow. Yeah, that blew my mind. That's like, really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you must have been using really nice cameras for the screen test. Yeah, no kidding. Also, got to say, maybe they could have checked a couple of other cities because I, I wasn't too impressed with our young Damien. Yeah, there wasn't like a whole lot going on, really. Yeah, he seemed very bored and unenthusiastic throughout the majority of the movie. And that seemed relatable, but at the same time, <laughs> I wanted more. I wanted more and I was not getting more. <laughs> I would occasionally, like, somebody would come up and slap me real quick throughout the movie, and that'd be like when something crazy would happen, and then I'd be like zonked back out. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 
Well, principal photography began on October 3rd, 2005 at Barandoff Studios in Prague, Czech Republic, where the film was mostly shot. The Jerusalem scenes were filmed in Madara, Italy, and some of the London scenes were shot in Herbert Park in Dublin. In May of 2001, just this year, a scandal arose in Croatia after split Dalmatia County Prefect Balzenko Boban confessed in front of the media that in order to stop production and chase off the film crew, he organized the burning of film sets, destroying them because he and local religious leaders were offended by the satanic subject matter of the film being shot. His hope was that the then Croatian Minister of Culture would change his mind and stop supporting the making of the movie in Croatia, which is exactly what happened, and production had to be halted and relocated. After word of his sabotage got out, director John Moore would later tell the media that it cost the studio $500,000 to relocate after the fires in order to finish the movie. After Croatian police announced they were investigating the case, Boban quickly denied the whole thing, saying that he was just joking around. Unfortunately, since it had been 15 years since the incident, the statute of limitations had run out, and he was never charged with any crime. That's some crazy tea. Uh, That is severe. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to burn all this shit down. That's like a tantrum to the max. uh, Seriously. (laughs) I would hate to see what it's like when, like, he doesn't have his favorite snack or something at home. <laughs> or his whoopee. Yeah. <laughs> well, the film was a huge summer blockbuster being released on June 6, 2006 at 6.06 and 6 seconds in the morning, referencing, of course, the number of the beast. It recorded the highest opening Tuesday box office gross in domestic box office history in the United States for the time by earning more than $12 million. As of February of this year, it holds the fifth highest opening Tuesday at the domestic box office, behind Spider-Man, Far From Home, Transformers, Les Miserables, and Django Unchained. The film ended up grossing $120 million worldwide, making it a strong success on a budget of just $25 million, which is pocket change for a big studio remake. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 26%, with an average rating of 4.6 out of 10. The site's critical consensus reads, quote, Even with the force of a classic behind it, Remake Fever can't hold up the hollowness of this style-drenched omen, end quote. Rolling Stone said of the film, quote, Not since Gus Van Sant inexplicably directed a shot-by-shot remake of Hitchcock's Psycho, has a thriller been copied with so little point or impact? However, not all critics were disappointed in the movie. The Washington Post's Stephen Hunter praised the film, saying, quote, It's handsome in the way it's fast-moving, sleek, well-engineered, full of gooses and honks. Some of the casting seems a little off, but still, it works, end quote. Did he see a different movie? What are gooses and honks? <laughs> That's what I will say. I literally don't remember that at all it's the only reason why i included his quote in our wiki today because it was so absurd (laughs) and this is someone who's praising the movie i really hope that like he saw a remake of the omen like with a goose cast (laughs) like it was like some weird youtube video that he watched and he was like you know what i get it it's handsome and i really like what's happening here there was a lot of squawking 
A lot of many flapping, many honks. <laughs> well, that is not my favorite review. My favorite review of this movie comes from Eric D. Snyder, who said, quote, This film is for people who've never seen the original and who are easily scared by mediocre horror films. Well, there you go. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Well, while Fitzpatrick's performance did win him a Chainsaw Award from Fangoria magazine for Creepiest Kid, I vastly disagree with that. I want to know who else was in the running. (laughs) Were there no other creepy children that year? There was a goose in the running. (laughs) He's like, wait, It'd we be were in the gosling same movie. If it was a kid, a little huh? creepy gosling. True. Oh, like a little creepy goth, gosling. Goth gosling. A gosling. A gosling. He has his little beak pierced. Amazing. He's black eyeliner. Painted nails. Listens to Panic at the Disco. Huh? It's not a scene, Mom. <laughs> Well, aside from Fitzpatrick's Creepiest Kid Award, David Thewlis was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actor in 2007 for this movie. But he lost to M. Night Shyamalan for Lady in the Water. Oh, wow. So there's a nice little Sixth Sense tie-in. We have another one uh, that we'll get to that deals with the color red. Yes. Uh, We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so, see, it, it's not just me who thinks that M. Night should not speak in his movies. <laughs> it just, uh, it just, just make them, and uh, we will thank you. <laughs> That's all we ask. Thank you. Well, one last bit. In 2017, Slash Film listed this version of The Omen as one of the 15 worst horror remakes of all time citing the direction as lifeless and the film pointless due to its fidelity to the original. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I don't know if I would say lifeless. I would say it's lazy. It just seems like really lazy filmmaking. Yeah. Like he just really didn't try. Yeah. Which which sucks because obviously like we'll talk about, I feel like there's a lot of parts in the movie that had a lot of potential mm-hmm. and you know even even if you know he didn't want to do anything too crazy different if everything could have been like just up a notch and maybe some like different casting it could have been better mm-hmm. but yeah it just it was none of it fell into place no no it was just it just seems like a really half-ass effort and mm-hmm. i i don't know how else to describe it Well, again, similar to the original, the synopsis reads, A new age of evil threatens to arise when an American diplomat and his wife learn that the child they adopted may be the son of Satan. Mystical signs point to the Antichrist's coming battle for dominion over heaven and earth. All right. Well, I certainly don't want anyone to think, because we are already bad-mouthing the film, uh, that they should just turn this off. Why should they listen to any more? Uh, there are still some really great things in this film. Yeah. Uh, there are certain things that if you're a fan of that thing, you're going to have a really good time. Mm-hmm. There are b- brief moments. They were brief, but there were moments that I really, really did enjoy myself. Uh, and also, I got to admit, I really like when I get to trash a film. It it gives me some little evil pleasure. And since this <laughs> is about being a little demon... My little demon will come out and say bad things about this movie and enjoy every minute of it. 
<laughs> but I know people probably love this movie, and I think that's fantastic. I can see some of those things that you probably think are great, but I also see things I don't like. And that's fine. That's the way horror works, baby. We it's all got opinions. everybody. Exactly. I don't got to like your shit. You don't got to like my shit. It's okay. <laughs> we all got our own shit. And that's the way life is. Everybody poops. <laughs> and that's the cherry on top of that. So take those lessons and run. <laughs> well, let's start running with this movie. So we are starting off with some music that sounds an awful lot like Jaws. It's kind of that two note kind of dun I was like, hmm. I've heard this before. Mm, this isn't about sharks. Don't <laughs> care. <laughs> Liars. <laughs> Posers. <laughs> well, we see a wooden roof opening up and a telescope comes into view. And this is the Vatican Observatory in Rome. And we see a priest taking a gander at the stars. We also see our first casting connection to Harry Potter. There are a lot of them in yes. this movie. Uh, and, oh man, I know I'm not going to pronounce this name right, but this is actor Pedja Bielvac. have no idea if I'm even close, I apologize, uh, but he played Igor Karkaroff, the headmaster of Durmstrang School for Boys in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Dun, dun, dun. My personal favorite book and film of the series. This should have been like a crossover between Harry Potter and the Omen. And it's like the final battle is Harry Potter and Damien. You think Potter could take down Satan? It's just, you know, one of those stories of good versus evil. And, and I feel like we all need that every once in a while. Maybe that's the crossover we didn't know we needed. Well, you know, for one moment as we were watching this film, I really thought Voldemort was in it. Do you know what moment I'm talking about? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> I was so, like, no, but yes, 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 yes. All right. Well, the priest and his telescope, he discovers three huge comets flying very close to Earth. So over the rest of the credits, we see this discovery has launched very much research. Uh, and eventually a PowerPoint presentation is given to the Pope and a bunch of other guys in fancy robes. Uh, this presentation is covering the scripture from Revelations. I would think they all know that. Maybe not. Uh, He's like, um, here, let me talk to you about somebody you may or may not know. Jesus. <laughs> all right. I think that would need to go on the resume. Have you read the Bible? The Pope's like, eh, if you're I skimmed be it. The Pope. <laughs> I read the cliff notes. I get the gist of I it. I gave it a good look through. You know, what can I say? I'm not a big reader. Well, he is explaining revelations and making these connections to modern day mass tragedies such as 9-11 and the 2004 tsunami in Indonesia. Uh, and they are saying that these are all signs that Armageddon has become. And, and seeing this comet was the last sign that they were looking for. So now the battle between heaven and hell has begun. Well, next we see Robert Thorne, an American diplomat stationed in Italy, being rushed to the hospital as his wife is in labor. This is, of course, actor Liev Schreiber, who does have a few other creepy credits, including Phantoms, Scream 2 and 3, Cotton Weary, F&A Cotton, <laughs> uh, and was in another remake of a horror sci-fi classic, Repo Men. Well, once Thorne arrives, he is approached by the hospital chaplain who informs him that his child has died. Oh, and by the way, we haven't told your wife about it yet, so you can go ahead and take care of that, too. 
I couldn't believe he's like, yeah, she doesn't know. I was like, if what? you could actually just handle that, <laughs> I don't do well with emotions. You're gonna give me the worst news of my life, and then tell me I now have to tell my wife that news. That's that's horrible. <laughs> Uh, but then he says, unless, hear me out, uh, we feel really bad about what happened. Uh, so here's some coupons for a free appendectomy. Uh, and also, we just happen to have another baby lying around. Uh, and you can just have it. <laughs> it just, seriously. <laughs> Please, if you could just take it. it. It'll be fine. Just never tell your wife uh, that her child died and you substituted a completely unknown child without consulting her. And everything will work out fine. Don't worry. God said it's okay. Nothing bad ever happened when someone tried to hide a huge secret from a loved one. Well, the priest also tells him that there was damage to his wife's womb and she might not be able to... And Thorne says, she might not be able to what? She might not be able to play the violin again. What do you think? She might not be able to pronounce Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> and you know what? We all can't. I don't think this was meant to be a complicated riddle. <laughs> Pictionary. He's like, she won't what? And he's like, two words. Sounds like schmatch map of schmaby. Well, get used to this because Thorne's going to do this a lot. He seems to be just the most clueless person on the face of the earth and just is so far behind everyone else. Which is lovely that he's in a diplomatic <laughs> exactly. place of exactly. authority. Exactly. <laughs> So, of course, there may be no other opportunity for her to have a child, as Thorne has to have it spelled out to him. So Thorne decides to take the baby uh, and keep it a secret, uh, even from his wife, and raise the child as his own. So Thorne goes in and presents his bundle of lies and deception to his <laughs> wife. Uh, and this is Catherine. Uh, and we see a lovely bouquet of red roses in the background of her hospital room. So I have two things to add in here. One, Catherine is, of course, played by actress Julia Stiles, whose creepy credits include Out of the Dark, and she just finished up filming the prequel to Orphan titled Orphan First Kill. So I know you're excited about that one. I am very excited. And the second thing I want to talk about is the use of the color red in this movie. So throughout the movie, producer and director John Moore used the color red to signal a supernatural event, much like M. Night Shyamalan did in The Sixth Sense. But unlike Shyamalan, whose use of the color was more subtle, in this film, Moore practically bashes you over the head with it. It is so blaringly obvious. Yeah. It's just... It's not even clever or fun. It just becomes, like, seriously? <laughs> I know. At one point, it was, I think you even said it out loud. It seemed like he was trying to fit as many red things into one scene as possible. Yeah. It was like, why didn't you just paint the whole thing red <laughs> at that point? We get it. Well, next we see Time Pass, represented by home video of the happy couple raising their fake son, who at one point looks like a baby Danny because he looks very Mexican with the full head of <laughs> thick black hair. I mean, I understand why they did this. We'll talk about it later on in the movie. But if I was mom and looked at this baby and looked at the two people who were supposed to have made this baby, I'd be like, I have some questions. <laughs> Whose hair is this? <laughs> Something does not add up here. <laughs> Well, next we see Catherine show up with a now three-year-old Damien to the American embassy to visit her husband. You know, the original 
ruin the name Damien for me forever. Mm-hmm. Like it will forever be associated with evil to me. And parents should no longer name their children certain names like these. Like there are a few names in history that just should be taken off the table. You know, like Adolf. Yeah. Damien. Karen. <laughs> just kidding. Rasputin. Maybe we don't consider that one. I don't know how many people would put that on their list, but wouldn't surprise me. Cher. Not that there's anything wrong with that name. It's just that there could never be another Cher. Yeah, there's She's only an one. icon, so just don't even bother. Yeah. Leave that one alone. <laughs> but yeah, don't name your kid Damien. Yeah. It's just asking for trouble. I mean, if your name is Damien, I'm very sorry. I bet you're spicy. <laughs> I bet it. And I can't be convinced otherwise, so. I bet people have a natural fear of you. And that's okay. That Use that to your advantage. I'm saying you could. I got my eye on you, Damien. That's all I'm saying. I got my eye on you, buddy. Got my eye on you. <laughs> well, we have no idea why Catherine has shown up at her husband's work, but he has some exciting news. And that is that the American ambassador that he works with has been appointed to the court of St. James in the United Kingdom in London and Thorne has been promoted to his deputy. So they're moving to London. Well, next we see a car accident that has happened outside the Roman Colosseum and has trapped the newly appointed ambassador in his limo in traffic. And if you like the Rube Goldberg-type kills in the Final Destination series, you're going to really enjoy some of the kills we get with this movie. And here is our first one. So we get all the chaos and noise that goes along with any traffic accident on a crowded street, but we also see there's construction going on. We see a construction worker moving a heavy manhole cover by dragging it on the ground with a chain. We also see a homeless man making his way down the road smoking a cigarette. As the man is pulling the manhole cover, he knocks some wooden blocks out from under a fuel truck that were keeping the truck from rolling. Of course, the fuel truck now begins to roll as we also see the homeless man flick his still-lit cigarette onto the ground. The fuel truck continues picking up speed as it rolls down the hill, making a beeline for the ambassador's limo. And just as he checks his watch, because we wouldn't notice the 10-ton truck barreling our way. Maybe he did, but he was just like checking the time. He's like, well, this wasn't supposed to happen yet. (laughs) This was not on schedule. Uh, Because the time hits 666, the fuel truck slams into the limo, dousing the ambassador with gas, which is then ignited by the cigarette, making a big old boom, and the ambassador is dead. And I exclaimed with celebration for this amazing Final Destination-esque kill. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, immediately I was like, ooh, this is exciting. (laughs) I'm thriving. Well, that is one of the things I got to give this movie, and that is its kills. Man, there are some spectacular ones in here. And I am here for all of them. Well, next we jump to three months later, and the Thorns are now in London looking at a new very big house. We learn that the President of the United States, who also just so happens to be Thorne's godfather, has chosen Thorne to replace the former, a little crispy around the edges, but also dead ambassador. We next see Catherine and Damien at the park as she is pushing him on a swing when her phone rings. She turns around for just a moment to answer it, but no one's there. 
But when she turns back around, Damien is gone. She looks everywhere for him and fears he may have drowned in the fountain. But that little scamp is just hiding behind a tree and jumps out to scare her. Terrifying. <laughs> and then we have this moment where, you know, it's that elation that your child is fine, but then your horror and anger and fear that he ran away and you want to scold him for that. So she grabs him and embraces him. And then she, you know, puts him right in front of her face and yells so loud, don't ever do that. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, mean, I will never do it again. I am terrified right now. <laughs> Julia Stiles had an energy drink that day. <laughs> she should not have a bang. <laughs> Just that one line, that's all it got out of her. <laughs> She's like, I'm spent. I gotta go to my trailer. I'm so tired. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, next we see a red balloon float into the air, which will forever and always represent Pennywise. And that's why people shouldn't name their kid Pennywise. <laughs> It's no, all coming full circle. I think we can still do that one. I'll let that one slide. <laughs> Maybe like Penny, first name, wise, middle name. Yeah. So most people think it's like Penny Smith. But no. Penny Wise. Mm-hmm. Last name is Johnson. Pennywise Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> we had Pennywise show up in last week's movie, The Sixth Sense, as well. Yeah, he's everywhere. I'm he telling you. Every- what if it turned out... Pennywise was really in every single other horror movie. Would that not be the greatest thing? Oh my I'm not God. even like just the fact that, that that like existed would be amazing. I don't care who the villain is. Just make one singular character be in every single movie that I have to spot and you will have a fan for life. Well, I I say anytime we see a red balloon, that is a sign that Pennywise is around. So, I'll take it. We we should start making lists of every horror movie <laughs> We see a red balloon in. I bet there's more than you think. And I want us to have like the secret lingo that like, oh my God, did you see Pennywise in that scene? And everybody's like, no, what? No. We're watching ER, what? <laughs> and only the late night weirdos know what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Guys, we need to band together. Let's start looking for red balloons. We're doing this. Yes. All right, so we have two that we know for sure. Well, technically four, it, one, and two. Well, yeah. Red balloons in that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> a few of them. Uh, and now we have The Sixth Sense and The Omen. I didn't realize that we were getting so much more Pennywise's story than we thought this whole time. It runs deep. He's got some roots, <laughs> for sure. Well, next we see even more red balloons as we realize that we have transitioned to Damien's fifth birthday party, which is being attended by hundreds of people. Like, I have never met this many people in my life, much less like enough of them to invite them to a party. (laughs) Well, we also see this event is being covered by a press photographer, and he's snapping photos of everything. And this photographer is being played by actor David Thewlis, and he is our second cast connection to Harry Potter because he played Remus Lupin in several of the films of the series. His other creepy credits include Afraid of the Dark, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and Stonehurst Asylum. Well, Catherine comes over to get Damien from the nanny, who is dressed in the most child-unfriendly outfit I've ever seen. <laughs> like, nothing about it says, I'm good with children. Yeah, it's like this, like, starched dress with, like, this weird rectangle bow tie. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think it's, like, a, a formal uniform that a nanny would wear in like um 
for a wealthier family. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's because they're supposed to be part of the quote unquote help and they're supposed to blend into the background and so you don't wear bright colors. <laughs> just, But still, I don't want my kid looking at, that's just depressing. <laughs> she does not look fun. <laughs> it's not about to get any better either. <laughs> Well, she notices a scary black dog off by itself that no one else seems to notice or care about the lives of the many children that could be horribly injured by said devil dog. Uh, but he speaks to the nanny telepathically, I guess, because she proceeds to go up to the roof of the third floor, tie a noose around her neck, scream out for Damien's attention, which draws everyone's, tells him, It's all for you, Damien! And jumps off the roof, hanging herself, breaking her neck in the process. And we see every stinking bit of it from many angles, several times repeated. <laughs> yeah, it's very aggressive. It, it is. It, it's a fantastic stunt. It is impressive uh, how that stunt lady did it. It looked like she's being hanged. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. I think I even... Uh, watching it i wasn't expecting it like you said we, there's a lot of angles happening and, and stuff like that i wasn't expecting it. i think I, even audibly i was like oh my god <laughs> even though like i knew that was coming yeah yeah well of course everyone freaks out except for young damien who just looks bored and waves at his real dad uh i thought the dog was just a hellhound but apparently it's supposed to be the devil himself which i mean he's just being a good dad it's his kid's birthday he, he should in. absolutely be there yeah, I wonder he what he got him. Brought him a gift. Yeah, Transformers maybe. Probably. Is that still big with the kids? I don't know. <laughs> Damien loves Transformers. <laughs> Everybody knows that. <laughs> I thought he'd be more of a Ninja Turtle guy. You think so? He puts those vibes off. <laughs> he really does. But no, Transformers, he, he gets it. Well, I have to tell you that I only know that this dog is supposed to be the devil... Uh, because of this one amazing factoid from IMDb, I get what they're trying to say, but it's worded a little weird. So let me just read it to you. It says, at Damien's party, when the nanny turns to look at the dog, the leash is visible on the dog's right along the ground. It is devil incarnated as a dog. It should not be on a leash. What they're, <laughs> what they're saying is, this is the devil, it's not someone's pet, so we shouldn't see that it's on a leash. Well, that sums it up. That explains it. But, but it sounds like what he's saying is, this is the devil. You cannot leash the devil. You cannot hold him back. You cannot hold him back. He, he will cannot. come for you. You put harness, you put leash. Devil get you. Devil going to get you. <laughs> I was hoping, like, the factoid was just that he was wearing, like, a name tag that said the devil. <laughs> Hello, my name is Devil. <laughs> is it hot in here? Or is it just me? <laughs> well, next we see Thorne arrive at the embassy to a slew of reporters wanting to know about the nanny incident. And here's a pretty damn cool Easter egg. The reporter here that asks Thorne if the nanny had been on drugs, that is Harvey Stevens, who portrayed Damien in the 1976 original Oh, Omen. wow. That's the original Damien. Far less creepy in this one. Far less, but still creepier than the one we have now. <laughs> yes. 
Well, we also see press photographer Keith Jennings is in attendance. This is the same photographer that was at Damien's party taking pictures. And he is snapping some more shots as Thorne accidentally bumps into him and knocks his camera to the ground, breaking it. Thorne helps him up, apologizes, and offers to pay for the damage. But Jennings just tells him he owes him one, and the two go their separate ways. Next, Thorne's assistant tells him there is a Father Brennan here to see him from Rome. When Thorne meets with him, he immediately tells him that he must accept the Lord Jesus Christ and Thorne needs to take communion. He says that he's killed before and he'll kill again until he takes everything that he has. Uh, Thorne just keeps telling him that he has no idea what he's talking about. So instead of explaining in full detail what he's really doing there, which goes on throughout this entire movie, no one ever just lays it all out there. Everything has to be so fucking cryptic. It's like, just tell me why oh god uh but so instead of telling him uh he's just still really cryptic and (laughs) just claims that he was there the night that his son was born and that he saw the baby's mother and that it was a jackal checks out yeah so uh thorn has brennan escorted out uh as one does when (laughs) crazy people talk at you uh, and as he leaves the building, that press photographer Jennings snaps some photos of him. Well, next we see Thorne arrive home and Catherine, or Kate as Thorne calls her, so we will too, has been interviewing for new nannies all day with little luck. He suggests that maybe they don't need one since Kate doesn't have a job and is home all day with him. But Kate claims that raising him is a full-time job and she wants help. And just when they thought the search wouldn't continue, the housekeeper, Miss Horton, who does not hear a who, (laughs) informs them one more applicant has arrived to interview, even though she mysteriously did not have an appointment or had submitted a resume. But that's okay, because she's old and has devoted her entire life to raising other people's children. I say go for it. She seems trustworthy. (laughs) Well, this is Miss Baylock, and she is played by actress Mia Farrow. And Farrow is, of course, from one of the most well-known creepy credits of all time, the classic Rosemary's Baby, which, of course, is another devil child. Mm -hmm. Well, she asks to see the boy, and Kate takes her upstairs. But once they arrive, the phone rings, and Kate excuses herself to go downstairs to answer it, even though we've already established there is a housekeeper that would do that, especially if they thought you were busy interviewing a new nanny. But that's okay. We had to get her out of the room. Uh, We also get a few little more Easter eggs here. There are some paintings, presumably done by Damien, on the wall of his room. One depicts a woman hanging herself, and another appears to be a self-portrait, and it's just a black figure with horns. Also, if you pay attention to the wallpaper in his room, you can see the floral pattern makes a series of sixes. I didn't realize that. Well, Miss Baylock, who is also wearing that same gray nanny's uniform, introduces herself to Damien and explains she's there to protect him. Damien just looks at her like she's farted and smells bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's the look on his face. He's just like, ew. Literally my reaction to (laughs) anything ever is just always assuming everybody farted. And ew. It's a way to live your life. It certainly is. Just imagine everyone's farted. It doesn't a lot for a lot of friends, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) Well, meanwhile, back at Jennings' flat in his dark room, 
which is in a room with a wall made up entirely of windows. I swear, the people who made this movie, I don't understand how no one did research on anything. It is the most irritating thing on the planet. You, you, you can't have a dark room with windows. It has to be dark. <laughs> it's in the name. And yes, the room, the windows are on a wall that just separates two rooms. So it's not an outside window, but still light coming from the other room. Yeah. And the windows in that room will come into that room. When we are in the dark room, you can see light coming from outside. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing. They just do the stupidest thing. And it seems silly to nitpick on it, but it's over and over. It's all this stuff like it just seems so simple you could have looked that up on the internet. I don't know why all these crazy little <laughs> things are there just to irritate my Virgo brain. That's exactly why. Yeah. Just to irritate your Virgo brain. Mission accomplished. <laughs> well, he is developing the photos he took outside the embassy. He also does this incorrectly, but I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> and the photo is one of Father Brennan. And in it, he can see a weird light anomaly above Brennan's head. He checks the digital photos from his other camera that he got of Brennan. And all those photos also have the same weird light anomaly in the same spot right above Brennan's head, no matter where he is or what position he's in. Well, back at the Thorns' house, it appears that Miss Baylock got the job, but I don't know why. I mean, she did absolutely nothing that was impressive. Yeah. She didn't say anything impressive. She didn't seem to, you know, have this amazing interaction with anyone in the family. It just seems like, were all the other people, like, serial killers? <laughs> How did this woman get the job out of everyone else? Yeah. I mean, she doesn't even, like, come off, like, super child-friendly or anything. No. Like, she just came in and she was like... Let me see the boy. <laughs> and also, that's another thing is like, how did she know it was a boy? Yeah. Hmm. Mm. I guess it could have been on the ad, maybe. I'm sure. I don't know. Well, I don't she trust is, it. She is a servant of Satan, so <laughs> they get that inside info. <laughs> In their emails every day. <laughs> if you're going to nanny, there's a boy who needs help. <laughs> Well, Kate is all dressed up and calls for Miss Baylock and wants to know if Damien is dressed and ready to go. But Miss Baylock claims that Damien hasn't been feeling well and that maybe he should stay home. Plus, it's such a long ceremony. She thinks he should really stay home. Well, alrighty then, Miss. Um, I call the fucking shots around here, Kate <laughs> says, and uh, I'm not having it. And you'll have my son dressed and get him down here. And later on, I will shove my foot up your ass <laughs> for being an empty little bitch. <laughs> I was like, wow, the gall of this woman. Yeah. Yeah, I think you should just stay home. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, out in the car, the thorns, including a dressed Damien, are being driven to attend a wedding. As they get closer to the church, Damien starts to breathe a little heavy and has that I smell farts look again on his face. Uh, but mom and dad interpret this as something is terribly wrong. And uh, again, his 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 worried that Damien face that you're hoping to get, he never really gets it. It just it kind of furrows his brow. It looks like he's trying to poop. Yeah. When he does it. But the parents start freaking out. 
so we're supposed to think that this is uh, much more serious than it's coming across because they're screaming, Damien, what's wrong? Oh, my God, what's wrong with him? Damien, Damien. But yet Damien's just, you know, he just has a furrowed brow. He's it's just like scowling a little bit. We are very overprotective of our child. Damien, you emoted. What's going on? <laughs> Damien, don't show emotion. Well, they finally get close enough to the church that he actually starts to freak out, uh, and he starts screaming and kicking and hitting Kate uh, until Thorne can get him under control. This attack leaves a cut on Kate's head that she keeps wiping at, but never actually wipes any of the blood away. It's like, what is the point of that tissue? You're you're dabbing at nothing. I understand it's a makeup effect, and they probably don't, don't really smear it because we don't want to reapply it, but... Maybe we just don't even dab. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Avoid the dab. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, back at home, Thorne is cleaning up Kate's wound, and she suggests they take Damien to the doctor. Thorne says that's unnecessary since he's never been sick a day in his life. But Kate says that's all the more reason they should go because it's super weird that since birth he's never been sick. In fact, He's weird and different, and I think we should just let Miss Baylock have him. <laughs> I think we should put him on Craigslist. I don't know. Okay, she doesn't really go that far, but she thinks something's wrong with Damien. Uh, but Thorne just assures her that he's just a little boy. Well, later that night, we see Kate in the bathtub, and she lifts her arms, which have been dangling over the sides of the tub, to see that her wrists are slit. We also see that the makeup department doesn't know shit for continuity because the dried blood coming from the cuts have dried in the opposite direction from how they should have flowed out of her arm. Irritating. <laughs> <laughs> we then see Damien in a red sweater standing at the end of the tub wearing a stupid mask. It's stupid. It's neither scary nor intimidating and it made me mad. I was like, what is this? It's a joke. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that mask either because it was like... Is it tree bark? Yeah, I don't know what it say. is. It looks like a tree, and then, and then there was a jump scare, so there was like a lot happening, and my mind and body didn't know how to compute it all. Uh, yeah, because the image, it just jumps to Damien in a black coat, screaming, holding a noose. Uh, and of course, Kate wakes up, and it was all just a dream. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> well, next we see Thorne go to check on a sleeping Damien. Uh, when he sits down on the bed and brushes the hair back from his face, all of a sudden, a dog starts growling. Thorne turns to see a Rottweiler in Damien's room. Thorne backs away from him, telling him to take it easy, but then Miss Baylock comes in and immediately calms the dog. She says she and Damien found him outside, but Thorne wants her to get rid of the dog, but she says Damien has grown quite attached to him. But Thorne insists, if and when we decide to get a dog, we will pick one out ourselves. Have it gone by tomorrow. We also see Damien sleeps with his arms crossed like Dracula. I, d I mean, I don't know how we couldn't see the signs. <laughs> Who sleeps like that? <laughs> he like hangs upside down in a coffin and they're like, I don't get it. We just never saw any of this coming. This is all a shock to us. He was pure pleasure as a child. <laughs> He really lit up a room, you know. With yeah. fire. <laughs> but it was warming, and we appreciated it. Well, next we see Kate has taken Damien to the zoo. We see another red balloon on the floor as Damien approaches the monkey habitat, and all the other kids leave. 
Kate comes over and said, did those other kids not want to play with you? And Damien just whispers, they're afraid. But Kate realizes he's not referring to the children. He's talking about the monkeys who are now cowering and hiding their tiny monkey babies from Damien. We next see a very obvious man in a gorilla suit, which we're supposed to believe is a real gorilla, becoming agitated, and he starts slamming his body into the glass that separates the giant scary animals from the paying patrons. Everyone else screams and flees the zoo, except for Kate, who merely scoops up Damien into her arms and stands there screaming and spinning in circles as the camera spins around her. <laughs> Note to self, Kate is not good in stressful situations and cannot be relied upon to get to safety. <laughs> so like, Kate, Kate, come on. Come, this is the exit. I'm waving a big flag at you, Kate. I don't She's know. She's like, ah, I got to. <laughs> I literally have a rope attached to you. Please stop struggling. I can pull you to safety <laughs> if you would stop thrashing and spinning around. Please just let me do my job, Kate. Okay, now you're tangled in my rope. You know what? I'm just going to cut it. You're on your own. We did our best here. Goodbye, Kate. Damien's just sitting there waving. <laughs> All creepy. Later that night, Kate is in bed when Thorne gets home. She tells him about the zoo incident and said she's now convinced that something is seriously wrong with her son, but also believes there must be something wrong with her that she would think that about him. And that must make her a terrible person for thinking that way. So she wants to go and talk to someone. And this is probably the first reasonable thing that any character has done this entire movie. Like, that was a very rational way to approach that problem. Mm -hmm. You know, that was based in reality. If I mean, a mother would be horrified if they didn't have this connection to their son and thought that something was really wrong. And, of course, I feel like they would start with themselves first because mm -hmm. you never want to think that something is actually wrong with your son. Yeah, of course. Well, next, the Thorns are at the opera, and they are watching Salome by Strauss. It's about the stepdaughter and niece of King Herod. Herod, desiring Salome, asks her to do the Dance of the Seven Veils in exchange for her heart's desire. Salome agrees, but after the dance, requests the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She receives the head, but Herod, frightened and superstitious, orders Salome to be killed. Obviously, it's a Disney flick. Oh, yeah. Uh, one you'd see with the fam. Oh, yeah. Very light entertainment. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's some old boy stuff going on right there. <laughs> that is some serious shit. Uh, but during the intermission, which apparently this opera is done in one act and has no intermission, so here is yet another thing that they just didn't even look anything up. <laughs> Drives me crazy. <laughs> uh, Father Brennan pops up again to tell Thorne to meet him the next day at 1 o'clock at Bishop's Park by the bridge. He tells him his wife is in great danger and she'll die if he doesn't come. This sounds like a threat to me. Father Brendan is a stalker. <laughs> Again, sure. just tell him what the fuck is going on. Stop being so damn cryptic and spit it out. No, I would not meet this crazy man alone in a park, especially if I'm a high-profile public political figure in a foreign country, and this meeting <laughs> would never take place. It would never. It would not be allowed. Secret Service wouldn't allow it. He would just not risk his career being seen with <laughs> some crazy dude. Yeah, just... and especially... 
with him coming out and being like, your wife's going to die. Like, that's, like you said, a threat. So it's not like he would just be like, okay, I'll see you tonight. Yep. We'll check it out. What was that? One o'clock? Yeah. Uh, looks like I'm free. Be there. You want, should I bring coffee? All right. All righty. <laughs> well, also, as Brennan leaves, there's a guy standing behind Thorn that just stares at him with that Damien's fart look. <laughs> it's like was everyone in this cast gassy the guy doesn't speak i don't i don't know if thorn is supposed to be there with him or what but he just he's just looking at him like how dare you it's like what is happening here it doesn't matter it was just weird uh outside the opera house the world's shittiest photographer because he has a dark room with windows uh jennings is there again and snaps some more pictures of brennan as he leaves Next, we see Kate in a red bathrobe brushing her teeth in the world's most sterile bathroom. It's like all white. Mm -hmm. Well, reflected in the mirror, she sees Damien Cross in the hall behind her pushing his scooter with red wheels. She turns to look at him, but he's gone. She turns back to the mirror cabinet and closes the door, which was never opened before, by the way, uh, and now <laughs> sees someone behind her in a red hooded cloak with the head of the skull of a jackal. This wakes Kate up, and she has another dream. So here is <laughs> the exact example that you have given in the past of a manufactured jump scare, something they're trying really hard to, to scare their audience. Mm -hmm. And that usually means our movie's not that scary, so I have to do things to try and make it scary by giving you these jump scares. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things, you know, someone closes... Uh, uh, some sort of cabinet door with a mirror on it and now all of a sudden someone's behind them. Yeah, it's just not plausible. Yeah. Well, Kate gets out of bed and goes down to the kitchen, but no one is there, so she turns to leave, but something makes her stop and she turns around to see Damien is now standing at the counter with a knife. She asks if he's okay, but he doesn't answer. He just picks up the peanut butter and jelly sandwich he's made himself and goes back upstairs. I bet it's an evil peanut butter and jelly sandwich. A midnight snack of terror. <laughs> well, back in Jennings' dark room, he's printed out one of the photos he shot of Brennan at the opera house and has it up on a light board. I don't, this is for negatives. I don't know why he's put a photo up here. And he's trying to study it with a magnifying glass. <laughs> and I about came out of my seat at this point. I, I said something to you. Yeah. Complaining. I, I, My major in college was photography. I was just about to say, I feel like this whole thing is like, tell me you're a photography major without telling me you're a photography major. <laughs> and there were just so, so many. It's But it's all basic stuff. It just was so irritating. So he's looking at this photograph that he has printed out himself using an enlarger. That's, that's what you use to print a photo off of a negative. And you can zoom in and crop and go to whatever section of that negative you would like that the lens on your enlarger would allow. So the point is, if he's trying to look very closely at one certain spot, he could have zoomed into that and printed that po portion out instead of printing out a teeny tiny picture and trying to view it with a magnifying glass. <laughs> it was so infuriating. I was like, I have had it. I have had it with the lazy shit in this movie. It's just lazy filmmaking. Yeah. Well, we can also see the same photo is printed in red hanging in the lower right corner of the light board. There's no reason to do this other than to have something red in this scene. 
I, I have no idea why that would be there like that. Yeah. Uh, he does discover something on the photo, uh, but just like the rest of this movie, they don't let us in on it. We, d- we don't know what that is. He's just like, oh, and we cut away. It's like, all right, more information we don't have. <laughs> Figure it out on our own, I guess. <laughs> well, cut to the next day at one o'clock. We see Father Brennan standing under a bridge, presumably Bishop's Park. Thorne arrives because public figures can come and go as they please and no one will notice. <laughs> and Brennan immediately breaks into verse. Again, no explanation. He goes right into, he doesn't say hello. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for coming. Oh, I see you're on time. He just immediately starts, when the Jews return to Zion, when the comet rips the sky, when the Holy Roman Empire rises, then you and I must die. From the eternal seas he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother, till man exists no more. Go to the town of Megadio, in the walled city of Deseral. There lives a man named Bugenhagen. <laughs> He alone can describe how the child must die. Well, Thorne just wants to know what child he's referring to. <laughs> Seriously, all that information in your one question is, what child are you she's talking like, about? That should be up. the one thing that you do know that he's talking <laughs> about in this conversation is your fucking son that was given to you mysteriously by a priest. He's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> What's a child? All right, let's start there because you're throwing a lot at me. All right. I need the basics first. How do you spell child? Let me write that down. <laughs> well, finally, Brennan lays it all out and he says, Your son, the son of the devil. Then he drops a bomb on him and tells him his wife is pregnant and that Damien will not allow the child to be born and then he'll kill your wife. And then to top that off, he's going to take everything you own. And when he's sure that he's going to inherit everything that you own, He'll kill you too. So you must act now or all will be lost. Go. Seek haagen in the town of Denzel, Washington. Only Megatron can help you. Seems easy enough. <laughs> but Thorne ain't got time for crazy today, so he just tells him to stay away from his family and he walks away, leaving Brennan alone under the bridge to mutter to himself as thunder crashes and we see a woman running through the rain in the background in a red raincoat. Yes, we see the red. Okay. (laughs) So spooky. We get it. (laughs) But Brennan can hear voices and cries in the rain and can sense something malevolent. So he takes off running down the street toward a church to seek sanctuary. But the church gates are locked and he can't get in. He climbs the fence and drops on the church grounds and lightning crashes all around him. He tries to get into the church, but the door locks from the inside by an unseen force he backs out into the churchyard again with wind and rain swirling around him, and we can see a stained glass window <laughs> is just perched flat on some scaffolding. It's just, you know, just laying up there. Stained glass. <laughs> Probably took hours and hours to make. They're like, yeah, just lay it up there. No big deal. Yeah, we'll just leave it outside, leave for the day, go home, talk to the wife and kids, have a TV dinner, <laughs> watch some Dynasty. It'll be fine. Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> would never happen uh when another bolt of lightning comes down hitting a metal pole knocking it off the top of the church sending it flying down through the stained glass window shattering the window impaling the pole right through brennan's chest pinning him standing to the ground and embedding shards of the stained glass window into his face it is another pretty glorious mortality 
Yes, very Final Destination-esque all over again. And it every single time these popped up, I was like, okay, all right, I'm in it. I'll Here keep go. it going. They, they were fun. They were definitely fun. We needed, we needed more of that in this movie, for sure. Yeah, I feel like it would have uh, saved it a little bit more for me. Well, back at the Thorns' house, Damien is playing a video game sitting next to a triple from Star Trek. I don't know what it's supposed to be, probably a stuffed animal, but it's just a little round fuzzy thing, and I want it. I didn't even see it. Oh, it's it's just You should have pointed fuzzy. it out to me. Oh, it's cute. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> uh, anywho, the sounds of the game are annoying the hell out of Kate, so she asks Miss Baylock to take him out of the room, which she does, but not before Damien gives Kate a go-to-hell look, which for him actually could be a go-to-where-my-real-dad-lives look. <laughs> My dad's going to find you, so <laughs> good night. <laughs> I'm telling my dad when I get home. That's right. Well, Thorne sees this exchange and asks Kate how therapy is going. She asks him, how do you think? Don't ask him that. We've seen from other people asking him <laughs> questions that he honestly doesn't know the answers. What so do you think? He doesn't. He doesn't. We That's should the response. really just start spelling things out for Papa him. Papa does not think. She also informs him that her therapist would like to speak to him. She goes out onto the balcony covered in a red shawl and tells Thorne that she's pregnant. She also tells him that she refuses to have another child and that she's having an abortion. She walks off and Thorne gets a notification that he's getting an incoming email. Not that he's received an email, but that one is incoming. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's coming through right now. It's coming. It's coming. It came. I mean, even in the birth of the internet, that was a pretty simultaneous thing. Once you send it, it's pretty much there. It's not like a fax machine, like he's waiting for it to print out. <laughs> well, Thorne's assistant has forwarded him an article he found on an online news site about Father Brennan's little accident, and it includes a photograph of the crime scene. Like, you just, nothing's blurred, he's just... Standing there with his back arched and this giant pull through him and all these shards of glass in his face. You and know, like they always put on the front page of newspapers. Yeah, no real news source would ever have posted this photo without, at least not without blurring some of it. Yeah. Again, it's just lazy. Well, next, Thorne has gone to meet with Kate's therapist and he tells Thorne that he believes Kate has developed delusional rationalizations and believes that Damien is evil. When Thorne asks, what do you mean evil? <laughs> <laughs> Swear to God, he asks it. You people think I'm making this up to be funny. This is happening for real. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, he doesn't know what evil is. Uh, the therapist tells him to just forget about that. It's just a fantasy. Uh, oh, yeah, she also believes he's not really her kid. Hmm. Interesting. Can't imagine why she would think that. He's like, wait, hold on, kid. <laughs> <laughs> what kid are we talking about again? <laughs> no, he doesn't ask that. Uh, but he still just isn't getting it no matter how many times the devil slaps him in the face. So Thorne again makes the decision for both of them, and he says, we're not having this abortion. We need this baby. Well, next we get a super uncomfortable scene between Miss Baylock and Damien. And she is hand-feeding him berries, which are staining his lips bright red. And they're looking longingly into each other's eyes. 
We can also see Miss Baylock's appearance seems to be changing. She's wearing her hair down, she now has on makeup, and she's no longer wearing the frumpy nanny's uniform. This has gone far beyond the mere protection and care of a nanny. This is far more intimate, way too intimate for a grown woman and a five-year-old boy. I mean, there's there's nothing sexual here. It's just, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, she looks over at his scooter, which signals to Damien what he needs to do next. So Damien gets on his scooter with the red wheels and starts riding it down the halls. We see Kate is further down the hall on a step stool, watering some red roses with a red spray bottle. So much red around here. I think All, this was the scene that you said that you're like, wow, we're it, really trying to work in as much red as possible. Yeah, there was like wallpaper was red and the rug was red. It's just, it was getting crazy. Uh, well, Damien is riding and riding and the music is getting louder and louder and we keep cutting back to Kate on that step stool and we all know what's coming, but they keep building it up as Damien is taking forever to get down the hall and he's riding and riding. It's the opening of Night of the Living Dead again. <laughs> the scooter version. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeps riding it. It's like, Jesus, I knew this house was big. Well, finally, Damien gets there and indeed hits the step stool with the scooter, sending Kate flying over the banister. She's able to grab on momentarily to the railing and pleads with Damien to help her, but he just looks like she farted and she falls three stories to the floor below, and we follow her all the way down. It's in a very aggressive fall. It's, it's amazing, and they pulled it off because apparently... Julia Stiles did her own stunt when she fell to the floor here. Wow. The flooring for that scene was specially built and padded so that she could safely do the fall. That's really interesting. It, yeah, because it's a, it's a really intense scene. Yeah, it turned out great. I, I was super impressed. I'm telling you, the kills are great. <laughs> well, next we see Thorne arrive at the hospital surrounded by press. The doctor tells him that Kate has a concussion and a broken collarbone and some internal bleeding, but when he gets into her room, this bitch is in full traction <laughs> with her arm in a cast, and it's elevated, and she's got a neck collar on. It's like, why, is it an unwritten rule that no one is allowed to give Thorne all the information? It's like, we, you know, we gave her a couple stitches. She's got a boo-boo on her elbow. She, she'll be fine. She bumped her funny bone, you know. Just she's give her some chicken soup. Being dramatic about it. Tissues. She'll work it out. It'll be all right. Well, Thorne gets to Kate's room and she whispers to him, please don't let him kill me. Thorne then goes back home and receives a phone call from our press photographer, Jennings. He tells him he wants to talk about Father Brennan, who was killed shortly after being spotted with Thorne. See, Thorne was spotted with Crazy Dude. But that, of course, is all he tells him because we never get the whole story. But yet Thorne still agrees to go over to Jennings' flat. Well, Jennings shows Thorne the photos he took at Damien's party, and in every single picture of the nanny that hung herself, there is an odd anomaly that looks like the shadow of a noose around her neck. He then shows Thorne all the photos he took of Father Brennan and all of his pictures that had that strange light anomaly appear to shoot down through him. So all the pictures of people that have died around Damien seem to predict the way that they will die. Jennings also found out that Brennan had cancer and was dying, 
And when they did an autopsy on Brennan, they found an odd birthmark on his inner thigh that looked like three sixes. Jennings then tells Thorne, quote, come with me. The best is yet to come. And of course, Thorne just goes with it. That's all he says. He just starts picking stuff up and he says, okay, come with me. The best is yet. He doesn't say where they're going, what they're going to do. And he just follows him. He's just like, okay, let me know. I'll be in the car. (laughs) Well, they arrive at some shithole dwelling under the subway and find one of the only other really cool things in this movie other than these kills. And that is Brennan's flop house. The set decoration here is so amazing. I love how they did this room. Mm -hmm. There's like thousands of Bible pages hanging from the ceiling and there's crucifixes all over the walls. I mean, the way I'm describing it is not going to do it justice, but it looks like a crazy religious person lives there. (laughs) Well, it definitely, I think, like fits into one of your favorite things, which is like creative chaos. And that's what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how Jennings got access to this room is beyond me, but in it he also found some news clippings about the comet we saw at the beginning of the film and an article covering the Thorne son's birth announcement. Thorne says he doesn't know whose son he's raising, and Jennings tells him he wants to help him figure that out. But Thorne declines, saying it's his problem, But Jenny tells him that it's not just his problem because when he was snapping some other pictures, he happened to catch his own reflection in a mirror and the photo shows a light anomaly going straight through Jennings' neck. So Jennings believes he's the next to die. Gonna be very scary. (laughs) Well, Jennings and Thorne travel to Italy to track down the priest that he talked to the night Damien was born. But when they arrive, they learn the hospital has burned down. This could have been accomplished through an internet search, but, you know, let's let's fly there just to be sure. Fuck the internet. (laughs) Well, luckily for them, there's a nun just right across the street peddling crucifixes to tourists. She's holding a laptop. She just Googles it for them. (laughs) But she just happens to be burnt on her face. So they talk to her. And yes, indeed... Uh, she was working at the hospital and in the fire. Uh, also in the background are these billowing like tapestry type things that are alternating red and pink with skulls on them. It's like at this point, just like, do you just want to come to my house and say, please notice the color red? <laughs> I mean, it's really that obvious. So the nun tells them that, yes, there was a big fire, everything burnt down, and the priest you want is in Subiaco. So they go to Subiaco, but along the way, they stop to get coffee from a vendor in an airstream on the side of the road in the middle of freaking nowhere. Why is this here? <laughs> there's there's tables out front. Mm-hmm. There's a permanent neon sign, but there's literally nothing around. All you see is field and mountains. Yeah. Another thing is it appears that Thorne pays for the coffee with plastic money. Like he puts some coins on the counter, but they don't sound like coins. They sound like plastic, like play money. Oh, really? I didn't even notice. It, it was, I, I don't know. I think I was just so over this. <laughs> At this point, every little thing was just like, oh my God, what is happening right now? <laughs> Are these chocolate coins? <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese tokens? What is this? Keep your Monopoly money. <laughs> Well, Jennings and Thorne take a seat at one of the outdoor tables, uh, uh, and it's snowing. It's snowing. Uh, And Jennings tells Thorne about some more of the research he's done. 
He says the poem Brennan told Thorne appears to be adapted from verses of the Bible and describes the end of days and the coming of the Antichrist. So they break it all down. So the first line, when the Jews return to Zion, history tells us that that's already happened. Uh, the next line, when the comet rips the sky, that's the comet from the beginning of the movie. The next line, when the Holy Roman Empire rises, that's the Treaty of Rome in 1957. Last line, then you and I must die. As for the second verse, from the eternal sea he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother till man exists no more. In that bit, the sea is often interpreted to be the political theater with all of its conflicts and trials and turbulence. So this would mean that a political figure will rise. Remember, Thorne is a politician creating a catastrophic world war that kills off the entire human race. So everything seems to be pointing to very bad. <laughs> and he's like, okay, slow down. <laughs> Let me get Let's my notepad. talk about this child again. I'm still not clear on who that is. <laughs> I didn't even know I had a child. Like, this is all new news to me. I just thought it was some strange kid living in my home. I, I didn't even realize, much less that it was satanic. But look at him. Look at him and his fart faces. <laughs> <laughs> well, next we see Thorne and Jennings on a boat being rowed by a monk in a white hooded cloak, taking them over to the monastery in Subiaco. They arrive and we see Father Spoleto, the priest that duped Thorne in taking a lemon of a baby. And damn, if he ain't sitting in the monastery courtyard in the snow in a black hooded cloak looking like Voldemort. Very true. As soon as I saw this, you had gotten up to go in the kitchen for something. And <laughs> I know it's not a very uh, engaging movie when you tell me, you don't have to pause it. I'll be right back. <laughs> You're like, just let, just, I don't. Let's not prolong this. I you feel like I will going. miss nothing. I will be back. <laughs> let me know if anything exciting happens. <laughs> Credits roll. She finally comes back from the kitchen. Oh, did I miss it? What all happened? <laughs> but at, as soon as you walked into the kitchen, this guy pops up. I went, oh, no. <laughs> I immediately paused it. And you came back and I said, oh, no, you have to see this part. <laughs> <laughs> it's also possible that he looks like the emperor from star wars yes Take i thought pick. that too yeah, i definitely one. thought that yeah well thorn tells him his name and spoleto takes off his hood to reveal a badly burnt man with a pokey out dead eye uh just kind of hanging there uh seems like they could have gotten that with scissors or something <laughs> just ooh, i don't Trim know that up a little bit <laughs> It's like, wow, can I can I help you with that? And just get, uh, get you a bag or something? <laughs> can you see your shoes and me at the same time? Because that's a cool trick. You should do magic, man. <laughs> Make a career out of it. Uh, <laughs> well, Thorne begs him to confess where Damien's real mother is. Spoleto resists at first, but finally reveals that she's in Chervedri, an old cemetery north of Rome. So Thorne and Jennings head out to the cemetery to find some random grave out of a hundred. They'll figure it out. <laughs> but they pretty much walk right to it. It's like, oh, here it is. Look at the dates. Yep, found it. <laughs> Nailed it. First try. Good job. <laughs> so this is Maria Santoya. That's the name that's on the grave. And it has Damien's birth date as her death date. And she is buried next to a child's grave. 
So Thorne and Jennings then open up the grave with a crowbar. Sure, let's add grave robbing. <laughs> Again, this political figure, as he won't be noticed doing these things, <laughs> and can disappear for days on end from the public eye. Nobody will miss me. Somebody will take over my spot for a bit. <laughs> Uh, well, they get it open only to discover the bones of an actual jackal buried inside. Uh, so Brennan wasn't crazy. He, he kind of knew what he was talking about. Uh, Thorne then insists on opening the child's grave to confirm that there is a body inside. They open it to find a small skeleton, and Thorne realizes that they killed his son and put him in a situation where he would take Damien. Just then, the pair are viciously attacked by a couple of guard dogs. It is out of nowhere, and it scared the shit out of me. Me too. This was a genuine jump scare. It was good. It got me. Yeah, both times I watched it, I still wasn't expecting it. Yeah, because they're just sitting there talking. There's no music playing. They're in the middle of a conversation, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they're hit by these dogs. It's it's a, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I say, well done. Well, they both manage to escape, but only after Thorne has to abandon his jacket on the fence that's being held in place by the vicious bite of one of the pups. Well, next, back in London, Miss Baylock has brought Damien to the hospital, along with some red flowers, to visit Kate. The nurse is hesitant to let Damien in to see his mom in that condition, so Miss Baylock ends up going in alone. We see Kate has lots of pretty red flowers. There's also a red blanket on the bed and a red towel on a side table. So we already know something bad is happening. So Miss Baylock takes an empty syringe and injects air into Kate's IV, causing an embolism and killing her, shutting off the heart monitor so as not to raise the hospital staff's attention. Meanwhile, outside the room, Damien is distracting a guard posted outside by giving him the someone farted stare. Once Kate is dead, (laughs) Miss Baylock leans in and gives her a kiss. And apparently, Mia Farrow's death kiss to Kate wasn't scripted, and no one knew she was going to do it. Can you imagine (laughs) Mia Farrow kissing me? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Yay, I'm glad you can't, uh, but I was going to say, can you imagine being Julia Stiles, not knowing that's coming, yes. and just be like, oh, uh, do it, I, don't move, was it, that's do fine, I, right? Do We're, I kiss you back, or, we <laughs> are we, are, are we, we dating, dating now? <laughs> All of our listeners are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> these podcasters are lesbians, that's right. Oh, we move in together now, right? Okay, I get it. Julia Stiles has you all on speed dial. She's like been waiting. She's like, the moment Mia kisses me, I swear to God. I'm making my move. I'm so marry fast. her so hard. Snatching that one up. Not letting her I'm go. I'm leaving Damien with what's his face. And we're running away together. Well, back at a hotel somewhere in Italy, Thorne receives the call that Kate is dead. Jennings comes in and says that he found out more information about Megado, where they're supposed to meet the Babadook, or whatever his name is. Uh, (laughs) It's a city underground near Jerusalem, and there uh, just so happens to be a dig going on there right now, so they should be able to get in no problem. (laughs) How convenient. Perfect timing. (laughs) I mean, it's like the stars have aligned and all this has been prophesized. You'd say... 
But it could be movie magic. <laughs> You'd say that. To which I've seen this movie. No. <laughs> well, Thorne tells Jennings that Kate is dead and that he wants Damien dead too. So off to Megado and Bubba Tunde we go. <laughs> now, according to IMDb facts, in this next scene, you can hear the opening chant from The Exorcist briefly when they first meet Bandersnatch. I, I, I couldn't notice it. I don't remember what the chant sounded like to begin with, so I'm just going to take their word for it. Yeah, I'll take it. Why not? Okay. It seemed trustworthy. I mean, we could seem cool. Oh, I heard it. Totally. Did you hear that? <laughs> the exorcist thing? I yeah, called it right cool. away. I was like, yeah. whoa, exorcist vibes, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> well, they make it through a bunch of checkpoints and people staring at them, wondering why they're there, until they find Bathsheba himself. Uh, and this is actor Sir Michael Gambone, also known as Dumbledore number two. Uh, so here we have our final cast connection to Harry Potter. Uh, Michael would take over the role of Dumbledore from Sir Richard Harris upon his passing. Uh, he also had a couple other creepy credits, including Mary Riley and Sleepy Hollow. But right now, Michael is playing Black Betty Bamalam, and he wants to know <laughs> if that little priest Brennan is dead yet. Uh, so Thorne tells him yes, and then he gets to the how to kill him part. Uh, he pulls out six special knives rolled up in a cloth and tells Thorne each one has to be buried into the child up to the hilt, making the form of a cross. But Thorne tells him this is just a child we're talking about, a boy I've raised as my own son. But Bubba Hotep reassures him that he's not a boy, he's a beast. He's evil incarnate and must be stopped or it will mean eternal damnation for us all. But Thorne still has doubts, so Boohaha tells him to be sure to look for the 666 birthmark. All disciples of Satan have them. But Thorne says he's bathed the boy, he knows every inch of his body, and he's never seen a birthmark. So Bonnie Raitt tells him he must be... <laughs> It must be hidden under her hair. You have to look under the hair. So now we know why baby Damien looked like a little Mexican baby. So we wouldn't question why the parents didn't notice three giant sixes on their child's head. My mom never noticed mine either. So. <laughs> Thank goodness. That's I why finally I, saw them when I shaved your head. I was going to say, that's why it took me so long to shave my head because I was worried about my 666 scar. But people have embraced it. So, yeah. so will I. Everyone's got their thing. <laughs> Actually, yours is three threes. Fuck you. <laughs> the devil's number. Well, next Jennings asks. <laughs> well, next Jennings asks what they should do about Miss Baylock, and Baba Black Sheep says that she's his devout servant and would never allow Damien to be harmed, so they're gonna have to kill her. But the thought of having to kill Miss Baylock as well is just too much for Thorne, and he freaks out and runs off. So, <laughs> you know, killing his son part, he was fine. But wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're not <laughs> going to kill Baylock too. She kissed my wife. I'm not. <laughs> You're talking about my kid and his <laughs> nanny? Mm-mm. I'm out. <laughs> Well, Jennings grabs the ceremonial knives and runs off after Thorne. Jennings catches up to him in the street, imploring Thorne to change his mind. 
but Thorne is convinced Baker's Dozen is just a crazy drunk religious zealot who thinks scripture interpretation justifies killing. But Jennings says, what about the photos? What if I'm next? And Thorne tells him he sounds just as crazy as the others, and he's not killing his son. He then takes the knives from Jennings and throws them down a flight of stairs very dramatically and storms off. Jennings then tells him, if you won't, I will, and scrambles to pick the knives up off the ground. But that killing music is getting louder and louder as we see the camera travel up the side of the building Jennings is next to, and we see a group of roofers hammering in some shingles. One of them knocks his hammer off with his foot, sending it sailing down as it hits a metal post holding a wrought iron sign with a very sharp edge. The sign swings down, slicing right through Jennings' neck just as he stands up. And we see every bit of it. The camera never cuts away. And it is awesome. It's amazing. The effect is incredible. It is so seamless from when the actor stands up to whenever it switches to the practical effect of, you know, his head falling off. And it's so good. And then you see the body fall backwards and it falls onto the back and then... uh, it's going downstairs, so then it rolls back over itself, but you can tell there's no head there. It, oh, it just, it's so well done. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I just, I wish this movie as a whole was better, because these kills, well, they killed it. Killing kills. Killing kills. Well, next we see Thorne on a plane headed home. He has the knives in his lap, and now there's just one thing left to do. So he pulls up to his home as we see two diplomatic protection officers are posted out front as usual for an ambassador. Thorne goes to the kitchen and grabs a pair of scissors, knocking a glass off the counter that he just manages to catch before it hits the floor. But this still is enough noise to get the attention of the Rottweiler upstairs in Damien's room that Miss Baylock never got rid of. Thorne goes running into a large staff's pantry to get away from the dog, and it appears to be a dead end. But just when you think Thorne is about to be puppy chow, he lifts a hidden door in the floor that leads to the cellar, causing the dog to fall in the room below as Thorne closes the door and traps him inside. This would have been cooler if we knew that room and its door existed in the first place. Mm-hmm. But since we didn't know it's there, instead of going, oh, that was cool, you're just going, wait, where the fuck did that room come yeah, from? Yeah, I literally did. I asked you. I was like, what is this room? Yeah. <laughs> yeah again, it's lazy filmmaking. You got to set that up, man. <sighs> Sad. Sad. Well, now Thorne makes his way to a sleeping Damien's room and does a little snip snip on his hair. And what do you know? He finds it in the exact place he looked. First try and everything. Again, how convenient. (laughs) Well, as Thorne is reeling from the discovery of the marks on his son's head, out of the darkness, Miss Baylock comes screaming into the room in her red pajamas and jumps onto Thorne's back. Damien wakes up and just starts screaming, but still manages to look bored and unenthusiastic about the whole thing. Thorne manages to toss Miss Baylock off and then kicks her swift to the face. (laughs) Damn. He's not fucking around anymore. He is not. Thorne grabs Damien, still screaming, and rushes him out of the house and into his car. 
He starts up the engine, turns the car around, and takes off down the drive. But Miss Baylock appears in his way, armed with a croquet mallet that she lifts over her head. But at this point, Thorne, much like the audience, does not give a fuck and just runs right into her, sending her flying up into the air, landing with a satisfying thud on the other side. And oh my God, it is so unexpected and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she did. She, yeah. <laughs> she did. She's no longer with us. She's passed. <laughs> now, I had seen the original and it had been a very, very long time since I had seen the original. But I remember key moments, especially some of the deaths. The deaths have been tweaked a little bit, but they're all basically the same. All the characters are the same. I did not remember seeing this happen. Uh, and there's a reason for that. So the death of Miss Baylock by having Thorne hit her with his car was originally scripted and filmed in the original Omen in 1976, but scrapped by director Richard Donner for being excessive. So it was in the script, and they filmed it, but we never saw it. There you go. They missed an opportunity, man. This was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. It was really good. It was It was cool. Well, Thorne continues at full speed down the drive, crashing through his own front gate, now alerting the two cops outside who take off after him. Thorne is speeding through the streets of London, cops still in pursuit until he crashes in front of a church. He makes his way inside and places a still screaming Damien on the altar. He begins the Lord's Prayer and unrolls the knives. He pulls out the first one, lifts it above his head, ready to plunge when Damien stops screaming and says, Please, Daddy, don't. <laughs> Well, this stops Thorne in his tracks, giving the police just enough time to breach the doors of the church and shoot Thorne dead. Next, we see Thorne and Kate's dual funeral. Simultaneously, we also see the news of Thorne's failure being reported to the Pope as he dies, spilling his communion wine on his nice white robes. They'll never get those out. <laughs> well, back at the funeral, we see both Thorne and Kate are being buried with full military honors. I suppose this means they put one hell of a spin on this story to the public because Thorne, as a now-attempted child killer, was certainly not honorably removed from his position. But we also see a very large attendance of Secret Service, and we see that the President of the United States is here. Remember, the President was Thorne's godfather. He's the one that appointed Thorne to the position of ambassador. And since Thorne has no other living relatives, guess who becomes Damien's new guardian? That's right. He's going straight to the top, babies. The President of the United States. And we close on a shot of Damien holding the president's hand as he turns to look at the camera with one final look of unenthusiasm. <laughs> and then he slightly smiles as the screen goes black and we roll credits. And there it is. We've been Damien'd. That, that's it. We done did it. That's the omen. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know... It, it, it really comes down to this movie just didn't need to be made. We we already had the omen. You didn't do anything different. It literally was the same script, mm-hmm. same scenes. All you did was change the actors, 
the kills were awesome, but we had some pretty dang good kills in the original as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was funny because when we decided to put this movie on our list, I was a little bit shocked by it because I just had no inclination that this movie did so well in the box office. And so I was excited because I hadn't seen I hadn't seen this one, and so I was excited to you know see like what were people hyped about because I I remember the marketing and I remember seeing the trailers, but I just I don't remember being like super hyped about it or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think that's just my my personal opinion about the movie itself. I'm just not a huge fan of the the whole uh, world itself, I guess, but. I was eager to see, you know, what was drawing people in, but it, like you said, it just didn't really offer anything different. So it was, it to me, a little bit bizarre as to what got so many butts in the seat that summer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's just a testament to good marketing. Very true. It got people's interest, and they want to check it out, and a lot of people were disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we got some prompts to get to. You ready to get started? Yeah. All right. So what was your popcorn spiller? So for me, uh, it's the same and as the original. It's just a very like jarring scene and especially right off the bat. Uh, and that's the nanny suicide. Mm. It's just so, like I said, jolting. And I, and I think outside of the fact that, you know, we're seeing it happen, but just the whole uh shtick of her like doing it in the name of Damien and stuff it's just very jarring and you know whether you've seen the original or you you know you're watching this this one for the first time it's just very like oh okay Mm -hmm. so this is serious so for me it's definitely that indicative moment in the movie where I was a little bit like shocked and being like oh okay we're jumping right into this shit like (laughs) no holds bar we're just doing it so that that was definitely it for me what about for you uh, well, I went for the genuine popcorn spiller, and that was when the dogs attacked the guys in the cemetery. Yeah. Scared yeah. the crap out of me. It's a really good scene. Like, I, I, I had kind of forgotten about it, but I, both times it was effective. So I think that, like, just speaks well to the scene. So who ended up being your scene stealer for this oh, movie? Oh, man. This one was so hard for me. I didn't like any of the characters. Yeah. I didn't feel I could identify with any of them. They didn't make me care about any of them. So I suppose I have to say Damien, just because every time he was on, I wanted him so badly to actually show up and do something instead of just make a pouty face. Yeah. But he never did. So I guess in that sense, he was, because, you know, in every scene, I was always kind of gravitated going, okay, show me something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, what about for you? I ended up choosing Mrs. Baylock just because her character's so creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was interesting the whole time kind of watching her progress into like this more uh, powerful figure, I think. You know, she comes in kind of as this meek old lady and she's like, I've worked with kids forever. But you can tell as she's like there interacting with Damien and she's beginning to kind of like thrive and mm-hmm. bloom. Mm-hmm. And so. I think for me, similar to you, I was every time she was on the screen, I was like looking to see, you know, how, what what's changed, how has she gotten creepier, uh, and you know, especially their dynamic, like like the whole fifteen minutes of uninterrupted eye contact while he feeds you berries, it's just very weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's I, I think she does that role well because of how creepy she is. Like I just 
every time she was on the screen, I was like, there's no way I would let this bitch in my house. Like, it just <laughs> would not happen. And they're just like, so immediately, day one, they're like, mm, I don't know. We're still interviewing people. Okay, you can have the job, I guess. She's great <laughs> at being in the room. I'll <laughs> <laughs> take her. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my choice. I, I Similar to you, I wasn't really super hyped about anyone in particular but mm. i i found myself always kind of drawn to her whenever she was on the screen so that's that's who i gave it to all right so what was your gorgasm uh i mean every kill in this movie was amazing uh but i think i had to go with the one that audibly made me say like oh my god or like that was so good or something like that and that was keith jennings 100 oh, percent. yeah that's mine too yeah i, I mean it's amazing it, it's so well done. Yeah, because, I mean, we've had, up until this point, other kills. And like like we've said, this this movie uh, only made me want to watch Final Destination. And that's not <laughs> to say that the Final Destination movie kills are, like, well done, because they're not always. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, it's just that over-the-top see, And I think it's that whole seeing the... And you mentioned it, seeing the mechanics of each part, mm-hmm. moving part in that kill right. to its fruition. And... Uh, so I enjoy that throughout this movie. But yeah, this one is just, it was like immediately I was like, oh, that was so Final Destination. Like I said it out loud. I was hyped on it. So it just was so unexpected. I mean, in the fact of like how good it was. Right, right. And like you said, that seamless integration between real and practical, or excuse me, practical effects and the digital effects is just mind blowing. Yeah. It's really well done. And I, again, I think kind of like we said off the top so many parts in the this movie like this kill could have saved it had there been just a little bit more going on you know because these parts were really good and kept me engaged in wanting to see it uh see you know the next the next kill and everything but when there's not a whole lot else going on it was a little okay well I'm gonna go in the kitchen get something you can leave this running (laughs) (laughs) so up next is memorable mortality you know I I almost wanted to give it to Jennings, but yeah. I already had it as my gorgasm. But the, the more I thought about it, I really had to go when Thorne hits Miss Baylock with his car. Yeah. And, it, and it's only because it was so unexpected because it wasn't in the original. Mm-hmm. And up to this point, everything had been the same. Now, technically it was in the original. We just didn't see it. Yeah. So... Yeah, it just completely took me by surprise. And I think that's the one that I actually audibly kind of gasped and went, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it was a it's a a great payoff to one of your villains in the film. You know, just this really good, satisfactory, you know, death with a thump, a Mm -hmm. little thump. And (laughs) I, I loved it. What about you? So for mine, I actually ended up choosing Father Brennan just because he was such a character the whole movie Mm -hmm. and like so vague and just kind of all over the place. Uh, But also just, again, his death scene itself, very final destination. I'm just going to keep saying it and I won't stop. You can't stop me. (laughs) Uh, It was just it was good. The whole pull through the the uh, eye situation or head, I guess, neck. Uh, chest. It went through chest. his chest. Okay. Yeah, it was. You're thinking of the uh, the glass shards were in his face and his eyes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so I don't know. It was it was just a cool one, and I think similar to you, like I was like, okay, well, I already used Jennings on Gorgasm, <laughs> so I need to pick another one. But yeah, I, I mean, I think for this movie, any of the deaths could be considered memorable because 
they all were done really well for the most part. So oh, I feel, yeah. I feel like all of them I could have easily put in this this category just because they were all wild and crazy. <laughs> yes, all very, very, very well done. Mm-hmm. That, that, that. I mean, I got to tell you, that is one thing I can say this movie has going for it. It has amazing kills. Yeah, definitely. So I guess that leads into the last thing, which is Dead Zone or Vaults. So how, I guess, how are we going to do this? Because I feel like people understand where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's quite obvious neither one of us... As a whole, we're very impressed with this movie. Yes, it has great kills, but I don't know if that's enough to really push it over the top for me, you know, it, to be deserving of a great movie that should go in the vault. And, you know, what was a great movie is is the original, and it had already been made, so there wasn't really a good reason to make this other yeah. than, you know, Americans feel they can do it bigger and better all the time. And it'll just, it'll make the studio money. That's it. Yeah, exactly. It was a money maker. And I don't think we'll ever review the original Omen. There doesn't need to be a reason to do that because we've told you the story. You've heard this story. It's exactly like the original story. (laughs) So there's no reason to review that movie. You know, I suppose we can give you our take on how it was shot and stuff, but I don't really see a point in that. So I would say if I was going to put something in the vault, I would stick the original in the vault. Yeah, I think I'd be okay with that. I mean, like I said, the movie franchise overall, um, it's just not my cup of tea as far as like the whole uh, subgenre of this movie and everything. But I can appreciate the fact that it's it's a classic and I've... I've seen both, and I would definitely say if I'm going to choose one, it would be the original. Yeah, you bring up the fact it's a classic is exactly my point it, it i have to look at it if i'm building this library this quote-unquote vault of movie titles that i want to have available to show at my drive-in theater i'm definitely going to want to have that classic on hand not this version yeah so i say we put the original in the vault and leave this one in the dead zone i'm okay with that i say we make it happen done and done Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 21 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us... We're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. And of course, here's a spot to remind you again about our upcoming giveaway. The post with the entry rules will be posted on Monday, July 19th, so keep an eye out for that. And then lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching the 2009 summer blockbuster Drag Me to Hell. If you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. That link is also down in our show notes. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for doing a mashup at last week's screening of Korn's Freak on a Leash 
and Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again. It's something that should have never happened, and now, thanks to them, we all have that basic understanding. Yeah. And we'll avoid it in the future. Yeah, I, I think that's best. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. That is one of the biggest complaints that people have about this movie. Hi, Kitty. That's <laughs> not the complaint. They don't know our cat. They should get to know our cat. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I have, yes, I have many technical things you can step on and make bad. <laughs> You're making this face. <laughs> this is so much worse than it was five minutes ago. <laughs> You've worsened this environment <laughs> a lot. <laughs> things have gone downhill since you have arrived and I need for you to leave. Destruction follows you everywhere. <laughs> you are a menace. <laughs> Please depart. <laughs> Why do we keep you around? <laughs> <laughs> Who keeps feeding you? We keep locking you out. You find keys, get indoor. <laughs> we don't understand. Nah, kid, you're cute, you're cute. You, you stay, you're fuzzy, I like it. <laughs> Did she have her claws out and made you say that? <laughs> Blink twice if you feel you're in danger. <laughs> And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.